Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. Oh, that's bad. Good morning. Yeah, that's better. Uh, I want to start. How many of you are familiar with the football player Courtney Brown? It's exactly what I thought. Uh, nobody, not one person raised their hand. Uh, Courtney Brown was a defensive lineman for Penn State. He uh, was an All-American uh, defensive end for them. Uh, he stood or stands six foot five. He weighs 270 pounds. Uh, he is a muscular, athletic man. He has a standing vertical leap of 37 inches, and he ran a 40-yard dash in 4.5 seconds. Just your typical average athlete, right? Uh, And so in the year 2000, uh, with the first overall pick, uh, the Cleveland Browns selected Courtney Brown. Uh, He was a consensus top pick. He had all the measurables, all the talent, all the skill sets they were looking for, and like so, that's who they picked. Okay, now you fast forward 198 picks later, And another guy was drafted. That's a very grainy photo because this was the year 2000 and cameras. Okay, that's just the reason. But uh, 198 picks later was this other guy. He did not look or run like Courtney. He played a different position, but he played quarterback for the University of Michigan. He looked like an average, ordinary person. Uh, There's a clip of him on YouTube where he is running his 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine. He, He... Ran it in five point, I think two three or two eight seconds, which for many of us were like, that sounds great for an NFL player. That's not that very good, and he just looks like an average guy. And when scouts looked at this player, they they saw a lot of weaknesses. They had a lot of questions and concerns about how he would translate to the next level, and they honestly thought if he had a mediocre career, that would be overachieving. Um, this guy's name is Tom Brady. Has anyone ever heard of him? Okay. Uh, Courtney Brown, first overall pick in that very same draft, he played four years in the NFL. He had some health injuries, and he was out of the league after four years. Tom Brady played 23 years, and all of you know who that is, so you kind of understand the point there. You might be asking, why am I bringing up two random football players? And it's because I want to compare that to something in our own lives. Scouts looked at these two players, and they looked at their strengths, They looked at their weaknesses, and clearly they go for the person that seems to check all the boxes and measurables, and yet they overlook someone else because of perceived weakness. And I think in our own life, sometimes we look at ourselves as Christians, and we see weakness. We see a lot of areas that we think would keep us from maybe working or serving or leading in the Lord's church, we might look at ourselves and think, I'm really average or ordinary. I'm not well-educated. I'm not the most talented. I'm not the strongest physically or spiritually. I don't come from much. I I don't have much, maybe. Uh, I'm old. I'm young. I'm this or I'm that. We look in our lives. We see what we perceive as weakness, and we think, because of that, God should not use us. God should, should use somebody else. There's got to be somebody more equipped for this task. There's got to be someone who's better off to fulfill this service. In some ways, what we say is, you know, someone called the A-Team. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie or TV show. I I haven't seen the old one, um, so I'm sorry if it's not the best of movies. But uh, the A-Team, you know, someone called the best of the best. And that's not what God does that we see in Scripture. Don't mistake, God wants everyone. God wants the most talented to the least talented. God wants the person with all the strengths in the world. He wants the person that maybe has no strengths, if there was one. 
But we say, no, God, get the best to do it. Get the A-team. They should be doing this, not me. And listen, when we feel or think this way, uh, we miss out. We miss out on opportunities that God can use for growth in many ways. We miss out on personal growth. We, the kingdom misses out on your service or my service when we think that way. Uh, we miss out on what might grow from that when we say, well, I'm too weak or because of this or that, God cannot use me. Listen, God can use anybody. And God uses anybody. And so this morning I want to have a lesson that I've entitled the C-Team. You remember in, in grade school when you got a report card? And you had those letters, and at the bottom, I think it was, it would tell you what those letters stood for. Do you remember what C was? Average, right? You, you weren't excellent. You, you weren't a failure. You're just kind of, hey, thanks for being here. I, I guess that's kind of what, what a C was. Hey, they told me in school D stands for diploma. Listen, C is great then. So, uh, but the C team. So in honor of talking about being average or ordinary, I thought I'd give you, honestly, a less than average PowerPoint Photoshop for that slide. Um, I want to talk about the C team this morning. Listen, God uses people filled with weaknesses. God uses people who might not be the most talented or the strongest, but God uses them, and he uses them for a reason. And I, we want to look at that this morning. In fact, I want to spend a couple of lessons, almost like a mini-series on this idea, we're going to look at specific individuals who fit this idea later on. But for today, I want to look at maybe the team God picked and the apostles. And what we might call them this morning is the C team. And so if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 10. I want to talk about the C team. Just some truth that we can understand just by looking at who, the, who Jesus picked as his apostles. If there's anything that you take away from this lesson, I simply hope it's that you come to understand... And know that God can use you. And God wants to use you. And I pray that as you leave here, not that I expect it to just never happen again, but I hope when you look at yourself and you see weaknesses or reasons that maybe somebody else should do it, you will see that God wants to use even you. Yes, even me, even you. So looking at Matthew chapter 10, I want you to read with me verses 2 through 4, simply where we get the list of apostles. Starting there, it says, The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And, and pausing right there, as we look at the C team that God picked, um, we know these as the twelve apostles. You know, the apostle or the word apostle simply means one who is sent. And that's what Jesus would do with these 12, right? He sent them out into the world. Um, an apostle could mean a messenger or an ambassador. Clearly, they were messengers and ambassadors for him and his kingdom and his message. But God, this is the 12 people he picked. And what's fascinating is, is what we know about them, or maybe better said, what we don't know about them. Have you ever looked at these people and thought, I wish I knew more about them? We have so very little about the 12 men who would go out and change the world, albeit Judas has that whole situation we won't get into, but we know so little. I'm just thinking about these 12 for a moment. For some of them, we know what they did as a job. You know, the first four men on this list, they were fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We see that in Matthew 4, uh, verses 18 and 21. They were fishermen. They worked an intensive labor job. Every day, they went out and fished for a living. That tells us these men weren't necessarily high up in society. They were normal working class people. They were likely poor. 
Uh, They worked hard for a living. They weren't someone who had a great sphere of influence or held a position of power or who had a lot of things in their home. No, they were just fishermen. Uh, The one other guy we know about his job for sure is Matthew. Matthew, the tax collector. It tells you right there. Think about that for a moment. When Jesus decided to pick 12 people to go out into the kingdom and they started in Jerusalem, he picked a tax collector. That was the most reviled of professions in all of um, ancient Judaism. Tax collectors worked for the Jews' enemy, the Roman Empire. Uh, They collected taxes, and as such, Jews said, well, that's a betrayal to your own kind of people. I mean, Matthew was looked as, you know, we, we think of Judas as the one who betrayed Jesus. Jews would look at Matthew and think, he betrayed us for working with Rome, our enemy, Uh, Tax collectors were known for lying about how much people owed, and they would pocket the difference. And as such, they were lumped in with the worst kind of people. It's interesting when it talks about Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Notice how they lumped tax collectors in with sinners. They viewed tax collectors as being the worst of the worst. And Jesus picked that man to go into all the world. We don't know much else about the rest of these guys. Simon, he's called the zealot. That could mean he belonged to the Jewish sect of zealots that these were men who were bent on revolution. They wanted the Messiah to come and violently overthrow Rome. But that word could also mean he was simply passionate or zealous for the law or for Jesus and his teachings. But understand, we don't know much. You look at that list. Aren't there more guys that you know very little about than there are guys you know something about? Like, how many of you could come up here and talk for two minutes about Bartholomew, Thomas, Thaddeus? It's like, please don't ask me to do that. Um, We don't know much. And I wonder if that's part of God's wisdom and not telling us a whole great laundry list of details about their family, their origins. We know some of their personality through the Bible, but maybe that was God's wisdom and not telling us a lot about them. Maybe God didn't reveal much about them on purpose. Listen, when it came time to pick 12, it seems like he picks a bunch of nobodies. I don't mean that in a mean way. I don't mean they had no value or no worth, but just they're average, ordinary people, it seems. And so when it came time to pick 12 individuals to train under Jesus, to turn the world upside down with his message, he did not pick who we would naturally go for. Are these the 12 guys you would pick? I'm going to go out to Jerusalem. Let me get the guy everyone's going to hate. I don't think that's what I would do. I think if we were picking, we'd pick the most talented speakers, the most well-educated men to teach. We would pick the rich, maybe the powerful, the people in high positions who had authority or great influence And while God wants those people, that's not the route he chose. God picked, in in some ways, the C team. Just average, ordinary people. And you see this truth in Scripture of the type of people God uses. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 26 through 29. He's talking about the message of Jesus and how it saves, but how the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man, this worldly wisdom. How if there was a foolish aspect of God... It is far greater, far more wiser than the wisdom of this world. And notice what he says about these Christians and how they testify to this. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. 
Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul reminded these Christians that the majority of you aren't well-educated. You don't have a bunch of letters before your name. The majority of you don't come from rich or well-off families. The majority of you are in high positions of influence or power in society. The majority of you are filled with weakness after weakness after weakness, and yet God chose you. God called you and you answered the call, and he's using you. God chose what is foolish and weak and despised to fulfill his purpose and show how he is greater than what we see in the world. If you watch sports drafts like I do, NFL or NBA, they show these players and their highlight tapes, and on the side of the screen you'll see their strengths listed out, like wingspan, um, high IQ, that's quickness. I never got that one. No one ever said, your strength is lateral quickness. That was not it. And just go stand in the corner and shoot a three-point shot. That's what I got told. But they give you all these strengths. And the farther they go down the list, sometimes they start showing your weaknesses. And I think when we look at a lot of the people God used throughout Scripture, they have some strengths, but the list of weaknesses is great. And yet God picked them, and God used them to fulfill His purpose. And I think sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, i got all these reasons why God shouldn't use me. I'm not talented enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't know enough. I'm young. I'm old. I'm this or I'm that. And listen, if you have a lot of weaknesses in your life, you might be the exact person God wants to use. You might be the exact person God is looking for. God is not looking for five-star talents only. Uh, He's looking for faithful people. He's looking for people who will trust Him, go where He tells them to go, to do what He calls them to do, who will allow God to use them for His benefit. And it's amazing what God can do when you simply will allow Him to work through you in your life. But you have to be willing. And when you're willing to let a perfect God and His perfect message work through you, amazing things are are done and accomplished. And we see that in the life of these apostles. God picked the C team, and He did great things through them. Notice verse 1 of Matthew chapter 10. If you read that with me, before it lists out the twelve, and speaking about the twelve, it says, And He called to Him His twelve disciples... And gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. These 12 that had been training under Jesus, he picked them and he gave them a what we call a limited commission. God had a a mission for a small small period of time. Um, Before they had a, they they would have a big mission. But it's like before the big mission, I'm going to give you a taste of it. And so he sent them out on this limited mission and... They heal diseases. They perform miracles. Can you imagine if, if you watch these normal-looking men cast out a demon? Or this normal-looking guy come up and he heals someone who's been crippled for years. I would imagine I would go up to that guy and say, Who are you that you can do such a thing? And imagine just hearing back, I'm just a fisherman. I'm just a tax collector. I, I'm a nobody, really. Uh, they would all point to Jesus being the one who's really doing it. But the idea is... Ordinary people doing extraordinary things because they are allowing God to use them. It wasn't about them. We know that. 
It was about the one who worked through them. It was about their faith in Jesus and the authority he gave them. But I imagine this had to be a moment where the apostles start to realize that, hey, God can even do great things through me. It's not just that God is great enough that he can do powerful things, but God can even use somebody like me, maybe despite me, to, use great th- to do great things. Sidebar, but when you allow God to work in your life, he'll do great things through you too. And when that happens, it's equal parts humbling that God chooses someone as weak as you. No one knows you better than yourself. You know your weaknesses. But it's also a little addicting. If you've allowed God to work in your life, to use you, it's kind of addicting when you see that God can use me to do something that actually has eternal value on this planet. That God can use me and I can do something with a lasting impact that's actually good. Not just work and work and work for, you know, just to make ends meet, but I can do something that helps the kingdom. And it's humbling and it's addicting. And I think they see that here. Jesus gave this mission and, and, and preparation for a bigger one. If you look at Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 through 20, we see the, the big mission that he would have for these 12. He would tell them, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Humans have gone to the moon, they have fought wars, they have created nuclear weapons, but there's never been a mission more important than this one. And God, the the 12 men he chose to go on this mission, to flip the world upside down, to further establish a kingdom, they're not the men that you and I would have picked. God did not pick the men who would headline Jewish TED Talks. He didn't pick wealthy men to fund a missionary campaign that will go to the ends of the earth. He didn't pick men who had a perfect background. He didn't pick kings or emperors or rulers or politicians or anybody with power by themselves. He picked everyday people with everyday faith. And that's how he flipped the world upside down. I think sometimes we think that God's great work is meant for the spiritual Avengers. You know what I'm talking about? For those really, really strong spiritually people you know, like... I don't know who would be Captain America in the Choctaw Church of Christ. You can discuss that at lunch and let me know what you think. But, you know, it's like earth's mightiest spiritual heroes. That those are the people that God wants to take and do all the great work with. And we leave the small stuff for us, right? When you look at the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, you know, some of those people are pretty average, ordinary people, aren't they? Rahab was what? A prostitute? Um, that God, you're sending that person? You know, even these apostles, they are heroes of the faith. They are great, strong men. They seem superhuman to us in a way. But were they always like that? No, they're average, ordinary people. Listen, God's work is not meant for a select few or for the strongest or the smartest or the most talented. God's work is reserved for faithful Christians. It's reserved for the average, ordinary person. And God shows that by how we use the C-team. And through the power of God and the message of Jesus and the work of the Spirit, these men accomplished that mission. Jesus' message is everywhere today. These men helped establish churches. They helped save thousands. They have reached the ends of the earth. 
They sacrificed everything. They accomplished the goal, and they were simply average, ordinary people. And God is calling average, ordinary people to do the very same thing today, to share in that same mission. Listen, my hope for you and me this morning is simply this. I hope we will understand that God can use us. And if you're sitting there in that pew and, you, and you're thinking, yeah, God can use people, but not me, even you, even me. Whatever your strengths are or your weaknesses, God can use it. Listen, I don't care if you have all the talent in the world or none of it. I don't care if you're old, young, middle-aged. I don't care if you're married, single, divorced. I, it does not matter how much money you have or don't. It does not matter how much stuff is in your house or not. None of that matters because God is far more powerful than your weakness. God can and wants to use you, and we have to let him. And if we'll let him, if we're willing, he will blow us away with his power, with what he brings forth from us allowing him to work in our lives. I'd imagine that God earnestly desires his church to be a people where every single person is allowing him to use them. What a people that would be, what a difference that would make. And simply my challenge for you this week is this. I just want you to start looking in your life for opportunities where God can use you. That might be in your workplace where there's an opportunity to serve or to speak up. It might be in your school. There might be someone who really could use a friend or encouragement. There's, there's an opportunity for you in your home, with your kids or with your spouse. There's opportunities everywhere. There might be something going on in the church life here at Choctaw. Whatever it is, look for opportunities. And if there is ever a moment where you think, well, there's got to be someone else better for that. Or maybe somebody else will do it. Or, well, that's not my strength or ability. I want you to remember the phrase, God can use even me. Even me. And God wants to use me. And my hope is that through this series, we're going to look at some individuals and you're going to be like, God used that person to accomplish that? And he did. And I hope that we grow from it. But I hope this morning you'll simply realize God wants to use you. He can use you. Please be willing. It's much better to let God use you while you're willing than for God to use you while you're unwilling. And there's some stories about that in Scripture we could talk about, too. I used a lot of sports references this morning because sports have a lot of un- awesome underdog stories. You know, Kurt Warner played at Northern Iowa, didn't get drafted, played arena football, ended up winning two MVPs in a Super Bowl. Nikola Jokic is a center for the Denver Nuggets. He was picked 41st out of 60. And he was so overlooked or seemed to be so ordinary in NBA terms that when he was drafted, they played a Taco Bell commercial during it. You didn't even see him on TV. That's how great the expectations were for him. Tom, he, Nicola won two MVPs in the last three years, and he led his team to an NBA championship this year. Tom Brady picked 199th, sixth round, was expected to be mediocre at best, and he won seven Super Bowls, three MVPs, and holds about every record for a quarterback imaginable. All were expected to just be eh or average, but went on to do great things. I'm not promising you that if you allow God to use you, you're going to end up being the greatest name or the best at this or that or whatever. What I'm promising you is that if you will let God use you, God will use you. And God will bring about things in your life and accomplish his purpose through you. Listen, you might think you're average. You might even think you're less than that. 
Um, but God has been taking people like you and changing the world uh, throughout time with people like you. And he wants to continue doing that with you this morning. I pray that's an encouragement to you. And I pray this week you will go looking for opportunities, despite your weaknesses, to let him use you. Uh, this morning, that is our lesson. And I appreciate you paying attention. And if it happens to be that there was a need, I know we didn't address how to obey the gospel this morning. I know we didn't address or talk about you know, asking for prayers for certain situations. But if there is a need that you have, we would love to help you and address it with you now. At this time, if you need to respond to the invitation, uh, come now while we stand and while we sing.